0: Angie Fever Sutton and Jen Morris, and you're listening to episode seven of Stage Savvy. Okay, before we start, I have a little clip to play from my recent interview with Ron McGee that will explain what our topic is. This is part of the interview, which probably will not make the final article for our October spotlight for KC stage magazine. It's going to be a great article, hopefully knock on wood, with a great, awesome cover, knock on wood. But first let us
1: play.
2: Your favorite
0: theater story that you like to tell.
1: My favorite theater certainly. Well, I've had many, uh, let's see. No, there's always new ones. No, there's uh, something always. I love when things go awry. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. Things going awry is the funniest thing. And, mm-hmm. and it's always been there ever since the first days of theater, all the way till now. Something always goes awry, and I think that's re- and that's why live theater is so brilliant. In theory, you never see the same th- show, even on Broadway. If you mm-hmm. think that they're so trained that they the same show each night. There's no way. Something's going to happen. A door won't open. Mm-hmm. Blah blah. You know all the typical stuff. But then some things just go horribly awry, which is exciting. Mm-hmm. I want them to. What's your favorite train wreck story, then? See, my favorite train wreck story was. Uh, oh gosh, I'm sorry. Let's see. Well, one of my all-time favorite ones that I tell all the time is one of my very first times at City Theater when I was really young. I well, was I? 17 or 18, we were doing Cinderella, mm-hmm. and our blocking was to come to the audience and up on stage, the curtain up, and was the king and queen and the little boy that was the court gesture or whatever, and we had watched him backstage eat and eat and eat candy all day, and then he, all of a sudden, we're walking up the aisles, and the whole audience watching, we singing, and he just starts throwing up, and I mean, it's projectile, which makes the queen throw up and the king, and all they do is... The smells have to, and they just close the curtain and leave us in the audience trapped <laughs> while audience members start regurgitating, and it, it's just becomes this whole thing of how can you escape? And of course, we're, we have these scarves, we're like trying stuff, and people are oh my god, it was just brilliant! <laughs> it was a lot of puke.
0: Only you would tell a story about vomits
1: <laughs> Oh my <laughs> word, it's so good.
0: So I don't think any of us will top that lovely story, but with us today is someone who has a very familiar sounding last name, Rich Sutton. I I think I know him, I'm not sure. Uh, (laughs) Perhaps married him back in 1999. Rich,
3: say hello. Hello, it's a pleasure to be here.
0: (laughs) And so obviously today we are talking about train wrecks. One of the jokes of you know you've been in theater too long is when you have more stories of shows going bad than you do of shows going well. And so I didn't know if either of you had a story to start off with.
3: Well, one of my first stories that I really love, it shows what theater is all about. It's back in 1991 when I was in college at East Central. It's a wonderful university over near St. Louis. We were doing a production of Macbeth. Well, for this show, I was working backstage as part of the crew. Well, we get everything lined up. We're all set to go on stage. And then we had a couple of the actors that were freshmen got sick, or they had to go to a volleyball game, or they had something. And they didn't show up. There were like three or four of them. And so the director, who was John Anglin at the time, he said, Okay, we've got a problem. This is what we're going to do. Techie, techie, techie. And he pointed to a couple of us Go put these tabards on and pick up these swords. You're going to march behind the king. And anytime we have a crowd scene, anytime this character's on stage, Or this character you're standing in the background you're officially in the show now but don't forget you also have to move scenery you still have to do all this other stuff so we pick up all this equipment and we march out there and we look it's hard to explain the look because techies usually dress so they're not seen so you have these people who are trying to be invisible wearing bright colored tabards carrying equipment that you know to stand out as soldiers and so this happened for two nights in a row. It was that's my first train wreck story. So it's a Shakespearean faux pas.
0: Well, my train wrecks, my first two train wreck stories are from very early on in my illustrious career, <laughs> back when I was in fifth and sixth grade. Uh, this is why I have a unerring fear of opening nights because both time it happened on the opening night production first, the fifth grade show, a lovely show called The King's Cream Puffs and I was uh, possibly typecast as one of the witches, one of the villains. I've seemed to got a lot of villain roles when I was younger and I had these lovely fake black nails, that, you know, those Halloween style nails that you had to do that, so I could be in a witch costume and I'd cackle and all that. And I start to pick, do something with my hand to pick up the cauldron or something like that and three of my nails go flying off. And so I had to do the rest of the scene with three of my nails missing and to follow up the very next year I was once again cast as the villain I was one of the two people it was the something about a toy maker it was a melodrama and I was one of the two bank people that were foreclosing on the poor toy maker and the script actually had us do a lovely little cheer about how wonderful it was to close on this toy maker and so our director had us do this little cheer that ended in us doing a little jump Now, I was wearing high heels, and for those who know me know I don't wear high heels very often, and this is one of the reasons why. I had bought these high heels maybe the week before and uh, had worn regular socks when I tried them on, as opposed to hose, which means obviously they were a little bit big for me. So I do the little jump, or do the little cheer, and do the jump, and my shoe goes flying across the stage. And so I had to hurriedly go that. Now, that's true not a real train wreck, but, you know, when you're in fifth and sixth grade, I was just mortified. (laughs)
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think those are the worst because, you know, those are your first taste of theater, and it's like, oh, that was a mild disaster, as you, you know, at that stage. Actually, one of my train wreck stories takes place in college. I was actually working backstage for this particular production, and I went to a Christian college, And we did a lot of varying different works, but one of the big complaints from the student body was we didn't do enough Christian shows. So one of the students decided they would do a Christian show to to kind of showcase something that he thought that the student body wanted to see. And if anyone's familiar with Carmen, the old (laughs) Christian singer... (laughs) It's kind of based on one of the old, the old Carmen songs. <laughs> okay. The the Armageddon, the end of the world, Nazi-style people taking away Christians to go kill them. I mean, it's, it was...
0: Sounds like a lovely show.
2: It was the worst show I think I'd ever... It's not on my resume. Let's, let's just put it this way. I did not tack that one on the resume. <laughs> but it was so awful. It, of course, it was poorly written. But then our props were like, stick guns and you know, just made it worse where it's was like this show needs to just stop. Stop right now. Yeah. And part of the reason it's a train wreck is just the show itself. You didn't need disasters to, to really throw in there, but there's a scene where one of the girls was supposed to cry hysterically because she's getting taken off to be molested by the evil <laughs> non-Christian people and she's flopping around on the floor and one of the guys goes to pick her up and haul her off, and his little stick gun falls on the floor. Tink, tink, tink. It's like, well, it's not a actual gun. So he has to run back and grab the gun and then grab the girl again. And they almost trip and fall as they go through the door. And it, it was just, it, it was bad all around.
3: Well, I always wonder, as I do a lot more tech than I do actual onstage acting anymore, and it seems like from a technical aspect, since we, know, we have the book in front of us, and we see how our cues are and whatnot, we can actually see the way it's supposed to go. And it almost seems worse when we see something go off script than when I'm an actor. Because I remember a story where we were working with Northgate Community Theater at the time, and we were doing a production of Greetings. A really nice show, and I'm trying to remember who wrote it. Tom Dudzik, I Thank should know you. I directed it. It it was a great show, and I had fun with it. But I was doing light design as well as some other work with it. And, and we were in it. Well, yeah, but we were setting up the tech for it because working on light design, we had this beautiful antique light board. I was going to say, this is true community theater held together
0: by Duck Trape and Wishes. And I'm using (laughs)
3: antique in the nicest way because I really don't want to say it was a POS. We would crack it open and we'd have to rewire it every couple of days just to keep so the power surge wouldn't go through and melt the asbestos, or asbestos, sorry, my bad. (laughs) And so we go into the performance, and we have this beautiful light cue at the end where the Christmas tree is unplugged, but it magically lights up, and it's all this beautiful, glorious, happy light. The lights start to go up, and then you hear this crackle sound and the smell of something burning. The light technician starts to freak out because this is her first time running the light board. She grabs hold of her Coke that she has sitting there oh, and throws it on our electrical light board. <laughs> now, for those of you in the audience who don't know, electric uh, doesn't take liquid well. It, de- li- well? I mean,
0: not liquid soda
3: anyway. Yeah, not sticky liquid soda to top that off. So there was a bigger flash in short circuit, and we blew a fuse. So we're sitting there in the dark, and, and good thing it was the last scene, so we had a person backstage killing the breakers, and then we turned on the house lights, because the show was over, and the actors on stage took their bow, and no one noticed it except for the rest of the tech crew, because you you just <laughs> saw the sizzling smoke coming well, from the I think the audience booth.
0: thought maybe that was part of the end miracle, <laughs> because <laughs> it added to that extra special spark. Well, the miracle was that we didn't burn
3: alive. It was... <laughs>
0: wrecks, of course not only happened to us but happened on stage and first of all I have to talk about my experience watching Xanadu this week at the Starlight. I actually had to begin my review with this lovely little story because if it had happened to any other show it would have been worried but since it was Xanadu for some reason it, it worked. Now if for any of you who haven't been to Starlight this year during the pre-show curtain speech the uh Detonyaki has come out and has announced one more show that they're doing this year. And they have these lovely banners that fly down and talk about the shows. And they have the banners of the shows they've already announced. They're getting ready to announce their last show of the season, La Caja Follies. And the banner doesn't come down. (laughs) And they wait. And the banner still doesn't come down. Now, for those of you who are unfamiliar with Xanadu, the basic plot is that the muses are come alive from a chalk drawing. And there's this scrim that's the chalk drawing in the back. As they're waiting for this to come down part of the chalk drawing does fall down (laughs) and so the curtain lowers and it comes back up and it lowers as they're trying as the tech crew is desperately trying to figure out how to get this chalk drawing back up and they finally pull the curtain down for the national anthem and as we start singing the national anthem i look over and i can see a tech person desperately crawling up the side (laughs) of the wall in the hopes of fixing the issue with the banner (laughs) And I was like, any other show that would have made me go, oh, this isn't going to be good. But for Xanadu, for some reason, that just made me go, oh, this is going to be fun.
2: I say, Xanadu, you know, those kind of cult classics, it just kind of adds to the enjoyment factor when there are train wrecks. I think there are certain shows that it's almost acceptable (laughs) to have train wrecks in. And I think it is those cult shows that everyone knows the lines, they're speaking out in the audience. It's well, okay. you know,
0: a show that has Olivia Newton-John and electric light orchestra, you can't take too seriously to begin yeah, with.
2: <laughs> it's true. With roller skates. Yes. Yeah. Well, this isn't my story, but this is a very recent story. A friend of mine was stage managing a local show, and they do their shows out of a local university, and part of the way the stipulation with the company is they have to have someone at the university be a intern um, and kind of help with the production. And so this kid was supposed to be the light technician and design the lighting and the sound. Well, um, he obviously didn't take seriously the fact that he's supposed to be there. (laughs) And randomly one, I think it was like a couple of weeks in, uh, he didn't show up and he had the keys to get into the building. (laughs) And, uh, oh, I'm in Georgia. (laughs) <laughs> the, my friend, C director, calls. Oh yeah, I'm in Georgia. I had something come up. Uh, I'll be out here a few days. They have no sound. None of them had worked that light board yet because they this kid's supposed to do it. So they hadn't really. They're just like, okay, here's the design. You do your thing. So uh, they had to find a security guard to open it up. <laughs> they had to finally get in there and learn how to turn it on, and it was just a disaster. So finally, like two days before the show goes up, uh, they're like in their final tech rehearsals. This guy shows up, and he's got all the, all the sound down because that's when they were gonna input the sound. He he had spent all this time doing it, and none of the sound cues were even kind of close to what the script was asking for. Like he had music in there when the director had not asked for any music at any point in that in that section. He just kind Why? of imagined this whole sound <laughs> cue, so the director had to, needless to say, had to redo all this sound on her own that night before. So then he was decided that he was just gonna go take a little break and didn't show up to do the light board. So they hired someone the last minute just to come in and run the lights so that, you know, that would actually happen. And uh, the director told like the kid was like, "I think we can figure it out without you. Why don't you go take a break? Okay." <laughs> He came back at the end of rehearsal. Oh, I went to go get a pizza because you told me to take a break.
4: Wow. Wow.
2: Needless to say this kid will not be interning anytime <laughs> soon.
3: <laughs> well, one of my stories that I have from someone else, one of these someone else stories, was the show I was directing at one time. It was I was really looking forward to doing. It, it was one of those classical Shakespearean shows and we had the cast lined up. We had the crew lined up. We were all set. And this is one of the sides of production. That there's a problem when you have everything lined up with a great casting crew. I was really happy. I had Peter Bakley, one of the known Shakespearean actors from around Kansas City. I had a mass. I can't even name everyone. It was such a massive crew of actors who have put in time and chewing the scenery all around Kansas City from the Fringe, from all sorts of places. We had costume plots. It was a beautiful production. We went into the production week and all of a sudden, some of our production costs disappeared. All of a sudden, a bunch of our costume stuff disappeared. I was worried because we dropped something like $1,500 on costuming. And I mean, we were getting you know, period correct armor pieces. We were having military soldier uniforms. It, it was, I was worried because there was money put in this. So it was like, okay, no worry, we got this taken care of from another great person, Jerry Vest, with To Have Guns Will Rent. He came in and saved the day at the last moment with us with that. Then we were going through the production, we were practicing, we were practicing. Two days before we were supposed to do this show outside, we were promised that we were going to have a stage. We were blocking everything to be outside to be performed. And the stage disappears. For somewhere, all of a sudden, oh no, we weren't able to get the stage. Is this going to be a problem? Can't you just do it on the ground? Now, with blocking i i everyone who's seen a show and who's been involved in a show knows you have to be at a certain place at a certain time to move the story along, so it's like watching t v If the actors just stand face forward and you know recite their lines, you know you could go home and skype someone and do that
1: yeah
3: but okay, so we're getting ready to do the show, so it's like at the last moment, we move everything inside to a theater space that was a quarter of the size that we blocked it for. We built the stage set up and the scenery and everything about two days before. And all of a sudden, the producers come in and said, well, we could get you this other stuff if you want to do it outside. If you just want to do it in here one night, that's fine. So our run of show, we ended up doing it in this backup space, and I've never worked with those producers again. So it's <laughs> it's well, one of those stories. So
0: <laughs> Okay, well, I have to use the cream of the crop of my, not really a train wreck per se, but it is... I stage managed the full Monty for the barn players four years ago, five years ago. Mm -hmm. And this was the show that got me to utter the immortal line. I think I'm tired of seeing penis (laughs) 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 because for those of you who are unfamiliar with the full Monty, it's a show about a bunch of people who, a bunch of guys who are desperately trying to find work and they decide to come up with a strip show. But what, they're going to do that differentiates them from the Chippendales that are coming through, they're going to go the full Monty. They're going to go all the way. Now, the way the stage show is set up is that there is the final cue, which is the cue that they supposedly bear all, is set up in a way to where there is a light from the back of the house that lights up at the crucial moment so the audience is blinded so no audience member actually sees anything. I, on the other hand, being in the tech booth, which is much higher up, I'm um, not blinded by the audience, so I do get to see anything, see everything every night. And Rich, of course, was backstage. He got to see everything every night, too, because he was the man who got to hand them the robes afterwards. But um, the opening night, um, one of the men decided to uh, draw early, shall we say. <laughs> he was a little premature. <laughs> oh. And so the entire audience got to see his uh
3: meat and two veg, shall we say. (laughs) And it was one of the few times in history that the extra hot lights didn't help him out. (laughs) It was, uh,
0: yeah, it was one of those things where it was like my first thought was light it, light it, light it now!
2: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, nothing like a little nudity at the community show. It it
3: makes it so much better because, you know, it, it makes your 15 bucks more worthwhile. It's like... Those blue hairs in the front row is like, Ooh, look at that!
2: My all the old ladies are like, Yeah, we're gonna come to these shows all the time
3: <laughs> This is much better than a peter player. <laughs>
2: That's fantastic. <laughs> well, I don't know if you guys have had this happen, but I've this has been in a cast that I've personally been in, but this is now the third story I've heard had this heard this happen to in this area. Where there's been a cast member who's been arrested during tech week. Yes, and that the was. Stage manager has to go. Is that, that, that was mine. one of them. That was my yeah. story
0: with yes, uh, with uh, doing. Oh, it was a show that involved a toilet flush as one of the sound cues. But yes, I got thrown in jail yeah. for bad check writing the night of the uh, one of the performances. That's awesome.
2: Um, <laughs> I was talking to a friend of mine who's doing a show um, at one of the community theaters here who. The cast member on their final tech night ended up in jail, so the entire cast and the stage manager were up there pulling their money together to uh, post his bail, <laughs> <laughs> so he could go on the next day. Awesome.
0: Whoa. Well, squabbles—that was the name of the show. Squabbles. squabbles. Oh, it's a—the show is just so trite in terms of it's the standard door slam type of show. But mm-hmm. uh, you know, any show that involves a toilet flush as one of your sound cues is <laughs> always so.
3: Lovely of a show. (laughs) Well, along the lines of going to jail, I was involved in a production of Barnum. And there was a time that I wasn't superstitious. I I have to admit, I'm a very superstitious person on stage. You're a very superstitious person, period. Well, that too. I believe that you shouldn't say Macbeth in a theater. That sort of thing. Now, the reason this is is because during this performance we were sitting backstage discussing this during production week, getting everything ready, and a gentleman was saying, well, you know what? For every person who gives me a quarter, I will write on a piece of construction paper, Macbeth, and hang it up in the green room just to prove that there's nothing to go wrong with this. Nothing could happen. So he got about 30 bucks worth of quarters for this, and this room is covered with, you know, Macbeth, 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 everywhere. Later that night... He was in a car accident. And it wasn't a bad one. It was just enough to keep him out of the show. And so the people who were on the way to go to the hospital to make sure he was okay got pulled over with expired tags. (laughs) The director who heard all this was like, this is unbelievable. What is going on with this? Went to go find out what would happen. Apparently, he had an outstanding warrant for something that happened to... He got arrested. (laughs) And so it's one of these things... I've become super superstitious after this because... There was these three things, and then there was a bunch of little things, and it's just coincidence that happens, and I understand that. But sometimes coincidence is just—we had a person in jail, a person got a ticket, a person in the hospital. And it's just—it was a couple of days before performance, and we ended up pulling it together. But it was again, it's from the tech side of you where you know you see what could go wrong, yeah. but all of a sudden. It all comes out at the end like theater's supposed to do. Everything seems to work out even in the worst case scenario.
0: Yeah, that's the best part about all these train wreck stories. I mean, I think the whole joke of you have more stories of shows going wrong than shows going right is because shows going right, there's nothing to tell. I went in, the show went up, that was it.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, and I know that there's always that talking about superstition, that if you have a horrible rehearsal, then you'll have a great show. So I think we kind of feed into that horrible tech week because it's hell week anyways. Mm -hmm. So you just kind of feed into the badness so that you have an awesome show.
0: Well, does anybody have any... final short-term stories i know that part of the reason i decided that one of these days i need to learn improv was because during a lovely production of "You sex please we're british i got stranded in the bathroom because they cut my cue for getting back out and i couldn't figure out how to i was supposedly in the bathroom of the show and they had skipped forward to where i had already left the room and so i could not for the life of me figure out how to leave within the script because I'm not that good of an actor and so I learned I I was like I need to learn improv so I could figure that out they finally did manage to figure out a way to they just went back and just said oh I think I left
3: mother in the bathroom (laughs) we were doing Pippin and it was the song was for you where we have Pippin dancing around savoring all the different women dressed in scantily clad clothing and fruit and food and whatnot Pippin walks across the stage and was nibbling off of one of the girls who was wearing food and had an allergic reaction. <laughs> this is why I am paranoid about first aid now, too, because I've learned how to use an EpiPen. I've learned how to use this other stuff because watching him go through this song and all of a sudden he was like, with you. <laughs> and he was making these sounds and you could see him start to turn colors and whatnot. <laughs> And so we moved up the intermission and put an extra break in just so we could get him in, get him resettled down. So that's my paranoia about first aid now.
2: Yeah, first aid. It's something that should always be learned. I think that's one of those things that most people forget about. I remember in high school as my last story, we were doing... Oh, what are we doing? Our signal lace. There we go. And one of the guys who was... Being dramatic, and and they're in the middle of uh, the commotion that comes with the farce. And he actually kind of stabbed himself with his uh, utensils. uh, So he kind of bled all over the stage so he could get off. So first aid, definitely (laughs) important.
0: That's lovely. Yes. Well, that was one during our stage management thing that I was like, you know, I never thought of putting that in my list of things a stage manager should know, but I always knew at the back of my head. Well, okay. Well, that is the last of our train wreck stories. If you have any train wreck stories you'd like to add, once we take our break, we'll give you the information on how to give us some feedback. We actually have some feedback and we'll go from there. So we'll be right back.
2: Hello, this is Philip
3: Lowell with Eat Their Words, the curator of that bizarre little thing. And if you want to stay savvy, and of course you do, you'll listen to Stage Savvy, right? You are now, aren't you?
0: Thank you for listening to episode seven of stage savvy hosted by Angie Fiedler Sutton and Jen Morris. We hope you enjoyed it and would love to hear your feedback. You can send us comments in several ways. You can comment on the blog posting for this podcast over at angiefsutton.wordpress.com, which is also where you'll find the show notes for this podcast, including, I don't think we have any links of show of of train wreck stories, but any links that might be of interest. Um, you can also email me at afiedler, that's A-F as in food, I-E-D as in dog, L-E-R, at com. Or if you'd like to com- your comment to be on the podcast, you can leave us a voicemail at 816-23-STAGE. Please indicate your calling about the podcast, as this is the regular phone number for Casey Stage as well. We'd like to thank KKFI FM 90.1 for letting us record this podcast in our lovely studios, as well as Jason Bauer, who wrote the great theme music, A Variation of Guy who Got Rhythm. Other thanks include lovely Rich Sutton for participating in this lovely thing. Say hello again, Rich. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for having me. Thanks again to uh, Philip Blue Hoosier for that lovely bumper for our show. And, of course, a special shout-out to Jerry Vest, who is a new sponsor to the Free Night of Theater program, which we'll be talking about probably the next episode. Um, I also wanted to give a short uh, apology for being silent for the last two months. We had one in the can with Stephen Walker of KCUR that... The sound just ended up not working out, so we had to take a break of that. And then, of course, Fringe Festival got in the way. But one of our feedback, we have feedback. We had a comment on the... Episode six from a Billy that wants to know, can you subscribe to this podcast in iTunes? Well, our lovely break shows that that's part of the reason why I haven't uploaded it to iTunes yet. We're still kind of ironing out all the details of how often we can do this and whether or not we want to keep doing this. And we want to have a few more episodes under our belt before we... Because unfortunately, you have to have a specific site to save it on for iTunes to go to. And unfortunately, I don't have the money right now for the hosting of the podcast other than through Google Docs, which is why we have an upload on iTunes. But probably a few more episodes, we'll get under our belt. We'll decide whether or not we're going to keep doing this crazy thing. I think we're both still enjoying it, especially after after having taken a brief hiatus. And once it is, we will definitely put information on where it is on iTunes on that. So... Since this is an audio podcast, we end each podcast with a song, as you know, usually written and or performed by a local musician. If you're a musician and would like us to highlight something you've written, just send us a note, again, either by email, afiedler at kcstage.com, or by calling 816-23-STAGE and mentioning the podcast. Today is Special Kind of Blue from Eric Carlson. That's Eric, E-R-I-K, Carlson, K-A-R-L-S-S-O-N. Eric is originally from Houston, Texas, and has been a musician since he was old enough to reach the piano keys. He plays in a number of venues from coffee shops to opening for national artists like Dane Cooper. More information can be found at his website, ericcarlson.com, which will be linked on our show notes. Without further ado, here is Special Kind of Blue.
4: with his best friend, that's me He's got a lot to talk about Well, he'd get in his car and drive around town But the didn't seemed to follow him around He's a Romeo without a capulet he He's off derailing train. So he'd watch the stars cross the sky Counted cars as they passed by Shouted curses at the night Though it didn't feel quite right And he said it's a special kind of blue finds me no matter what I do, I'm a coyote howling at the moon, everything turns out the same way, it's a special kind of blue. Lipstick pictures on the napkin again. It's a nervous habit, but you can't find a pen. And she tells me how it all came apart. And a box of Legos on the stairs. She wants to hate him, but she can't find the rage. What do you do when you can't turn the page? And the duke is gaining with every step, so you can't turn around. So she cried, Is this thing to do? Tried to go out, and yes, yeah, she drew little vignettes of her pain. Cause it's all happening again. And she said it's a special kind of blue. It me no matter what I do, it sticks to me like super glue, everything turns out the same way, it's a special kind of glue. Hours trying to play the game, but no love is ever found. And I'm not immune to these nightly flights where the heart is tied to love's first sight. And my hands are left here by my side, and my heart is left alone. So I write another song in the end. Drinking up beer with my friends will always be around just as long as I am by. In I say, it's a special kind of blue, finds me no matter what I do. I know you fell did do. everything turns out the same way, it's a special kind of blue, finds me no matter what I do, it sticks to me like super glue, everything turns out the same way, it's a special kind of blue.
0: Stage Savvy is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Share-Alike License. For more information, visit creativecommons.org.